Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. I want to speak to you today around this idea of can you repeat my order? Can you repeat my order? Let me pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for everyone here today, in, online and in person, God, that there would be an anointing that breaks the yoke. God, that you would speak to us a word in season. Lord, I know that as your word goes forth, it, it's landing on different soils. So I pray for the condition of our heart, God, that we would be prepared to receive everything that you have for us today. We know that your word does not return void. And Lord, we are not switching gears from worship. We are continuing to worship. Lord, as we unpack your word today and pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and illuminate the beauty of Jesus in a way that only you can. Help us to see, love, and follow more clearly today. In your precious and holy name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Can I repeat your order? Does that sound familiar? Come on, everybody. I know, I already know what you're thinking. Woo! You guys get more excited about burgers than Jesus. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah it's like a slap in the face. Welcome to Sunday. But, but you always hear this as you go through the In-N-Out drive-thru. They always repeat your order. How many of you actually listen to them? How many of you feel bad for them? that they have to go through the entire list of things. Some of you type A's, you're taking notes. You're listening with all that you are to make sure that that order is right. I don't listen very much. I'll just be honest. I'm like, hey, you don't even have to say it if you don't want to. It's, it's all good. But there's purpose behind that. Because if the order is wrong, it stops the flow. It blocks things up. Order matters. In fact, if you were to go skydiving... Anybody ever been skydiving? Okay. A few of you guys? Okay. Any of you, any of you want to skydive? All right. Okay. Bucket list. Here we go. There's an order of things. If you skydive, you're going to start at about 8,000 feet and you're going to be in tandem. You're going to be strapped to another person. They want you to get the feel. You, you do this for, I don't know, several times until you are comfortable and have the skill to be on your own. So what they start you off at is 8,000 feet, then you progress to 15,000 feet. And then once you get to 25,000 feet, you're, you're kind of an expert. At 25,000 feet, as you're going up, you need oxygen. It's, it's a different game. There's a, a lot more things can go wrong, a lot more details. What if I told you that there was a man that jumped out of a plane, 25,000 feet, who had a family, who had kids, and he did it without a parachute? You would think in your mind, that's out of order. Like that dude's priorities are mixed up. Maybe, but it's true. There was a gentleman by the name of Luke Atkins that jumped out of a plane at 25,000 feet to land on this little 100 by 100 net that you see at the bottom right-hand corner. Now, now, now you think about all the variables that goes into this jump. Everybody wants to know, aren't you concerned, man? You got wind, 
and the weather elements. You got to make sure your calculations are on point. But truthfully, this jump couldn't have been more orderly. Luke has jumped out of a plane 18,000 times. That's a lot of times. In fact, I did the math. An average jump takes about two hours. And that includes packing your chute, getting your gear, you know, driving to the, to the airport or the, the launching pad and getting in the plane, going up, making sure everything is right before you make the jump. Jump only takes about two minutes. But there's a lot of preparation, so I did the math. 18,000 jumps is equivalent to about four years of this man's life. Four years. And so, so this, this jump, as out of order as it seems, it's, it's very orderly, and he hit his target right dab smack in the middle. And right away, we jumped to all of the things that this man had to say yes to. Taking a risk, the courage, the faith, maybe the insanity. He, he had to say yes to jumping out of a plane with no parachute. But I look at all of the no's he had to say. I mean, think about everything he had to say no to. He had to prioritize his life in such a way that would create time and space for 18,000 jumps, four plus years of his life that would eventually lead him to hit a historic target. When he did this, he obviously broke a record. Luke, in an interview, everybody always asks the same thing. Why did you do it? You are crazy. And this was one of his quotes. He said, everyone thinks I'm crazy. However, I'm here to show you that if we approach it the right way, and if we test it and create a proven process, we can do things we don't think are possible. So if we have a target and we have the right aim and we order our life around that target, you would be blown away at the possibilities and the outcome of that intentionality. In other words, I would say it like this, our priorities can affect our possibilities. And we're headed into this season. I've heard people say, it's already over. I'm already in January. No, you're not. You're in November. And do you know over the, the next several weeks, 84% of people, if they just had an invite to church, would say yes over the next six weeks. That's huge. So let me just say this. It's not over. The year is not over. I know it feels like it is. We're getting thrusted faster and faster to Christmas. And all of you that set up all your decorations beforehand, I'm just kidding. I'm not mad at you. I'm going to put on my lights this week. I'm not mad at you. You want to be responsible so you can enjoy the season. I get it. But, but as long as our hearts are not already in January, because we're going to miss some possibilities in the present. Like God wants to do something right now. And order matters. Priorities affect our possibilities. Order matters. You know it matters because when something is out of order, like a restroom at a gas station, when you really have to go, it matters. And we all get that. We all understand the feeling and the tragedy of something being out of order. In fact, Proverbs 17:24 says, an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. And so an intelligent person orders their life in such a way where their aim is for wisdom. Solomon said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, aiming at God's ways, God's order of things. 
But a fool starts off in many directions, can I just say, because there are so many distractions that if your priorities are out of order, it's just so easy to take the path of the fool. I think truthfully in our day, it, it probably rings a little bit more true. There's always been distraction, but we live in one of the most distracted, distractive times of all of history. And so I think sometimes to always aim at wisdom can almost feel very poetic, but not realistic. There's so many things begging for our time, begging for our attention. I mean, marketing campaigns and, and, and media is geared toward getting our attention, keeping our attention, retaining our attention. So many things are begging for our yes, our time, our space. And there's so many targets that we want to hit. There's so many things that we're shooting for. I mean, there's a, we could go down the list of each one of us personally. Some of us are like, I want a deeper relationship with God. I want healthier relationships. I want to be freedom. I want freedom from bondage. I'm tired of being an addict or I'm tired of letting the enemy oppress me in certain areas. I want to be free and have some new targets financially. I want to be used by God in ways that he's never used me before. We all know, too, what it's like to hit a target. It feels great. Like when your relationship with God is on point, there's nothing that feels better than that. And when I say on point, meaning just your heart is aligned. Not perfection, but there's clear direction of God, I'm walking with you. Your voice, I'm, I'm, I'm tuning into your voice. I care about what you care about. But we also know what it's like to miss a target. We know what it's like to be distracted, be pulled about by choices and options and the demand of our culture always weighing on us to the point where we often hit the ground instead of the net. And that's frustrating. And it's not intentional. It's not like, hey, it's not like this guy's jumping out of a plane saying, I hope I hit the ground. None of us are aiming at a target hoping that we don't strike the bullseye. But there's just so much stuff. And it could just simply be that you need to repeat your order. You need to recheck the order of things. You need to relook at your aim and look, about, look at what's pulling you about. I want you to rest in this reality today that, that God knows. Like he knew that we were going to be born in the 21st century. He knew that we were going to be born into this digital age where technology is off the charts, where we can access the world from our phone, where we'd be pulled about in many directions. He knows. And that's why I'm so grateful for the scripture because he speaks. The scripture is timeless. And the Lord speaks directly into this space in Matthew chapter six. He says, this is, he says, if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow stone into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little Faith. Now, right now, he's getting ready to tie our priorities to our faith. He's getting ready to help unpack a little bit about what we believe, what we're believing for is going to affect the priorities of our life. Faith just simply means, according to uh, Romans, that it's the assurance of things hoped for. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. It's the assurance of things hoped for, and it's being certain of what we do not see. And so what the Lord is saying here, and we're going to unpack this in just a minute, is that 
when our hope is in the wrong place, our priorities will be in the wrong place. And then we're not going to see what we're supposed to see. It's going to affect our aim. It's going to affect our direction. It's going to affect our priorities that affect our possibilities. He goes on to say, so don't worry. Everybody say, don't worry. About what we shall eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. Now, this word worry in the Greek, it simply means to be divided and distracted, to be pulled in opposite directions. So much so, the the little nuance in the text, it means to be pulled to pieces, to be pulled apart. Now, when you look at this, there's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, and wearing. These are basic necessities, but if we see those things the wrong way, they can keep us from seeing a bigger picture. We see earlier in the chapter that the Lord is, is, is kind of helping us get our eyes off of fear and worry and the temporary things and getting our eyes onto more eternal things. So he talks about storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust can eat away at those things. He talks about how where our treasure is is where our heart will be and how the eye is like the lamp of our soul. It's the lamp of our inner life. If what we're seeing is pure, is righteous, is him, it's going to have a huge impact on what's happening internally. And so he's like, man, I I love you and I care about you. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. And then he points to creation. He's like, look at the birds and the lilies. I dress them. I feed them. Aren't you much more valuable than them? So he speaks to our value. And then he goes on to say, which one of you, by worrying, can add a moment to your life? An hour, a month, a second. His point was, you can't. So he speaks to this reality that we think we're in control, but we're really not. So his whole point is, don't be disillusioned. There's some things that you think work, like being focused on all these things. He's like, it doesn't work. What he's Helping us understand is that I have a proven process to life. And it may seem crazy to jump out and trust me, but but I have a a great track record. He's been doing life a long time. And so it continues and it says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Some of you just need to hear that today. Like you're moving into this next season and it's like, Lots of needs. Lots of stuff happening. Can I just tell you that he knows? But the pagans, they desire these things too. The unbelievers, they are dominated by these thoughts. And it's not because they're just like wicked people. They just don't have any hope beyond these things. Like this, this is all that they have. So there's an over-desire. There's a lust for these things. There's a chasing after eating and drinking and fashion. When you look at this, this is like Instagram in totality. Food, fashion, and just, just the things that were, you know, kind of tempt you to chase after. But they don't have a hope. Listen, Unbelievers don't have a hope beyond this life. So they don't know that there's a good heavenly father that will supply all of their needs. They don't understand that life is more than the body. Life is more than, you know, what we wear and what we eat and what we drink. They just have what's before them. 
But for us as believers, we have so much more than that. And we're supposed to reflect that to the world. In fact, Jesus warns us, though. He says, listen, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, speaking of his return, comes suddenly on you like a trap. Like, I don't want the Lord's return to feel like a trap. I want it to feel like a delight. Like, I'm excited to go and be with him. But, but here's the deal. This, this word weighed down, it means to be overcome by. Can I just tell you that God has not called us to be overcome, but he's called us to be overcomers. And, and this word dissipation, when you dive into it, it's pretty crazy. It means squandering money, energy, time, resources, scattering away from the Lord. It's like, where are you investing your life? Where are you investing your time, your energy, your resources? And then drunkenness, it, it almost in this text doesn't have the idea of intoxication. It's the aftermath. It's hungover. Don't live hungover. Don't just live in that state of like, oh, just, it's been a long night. And then cares. Still this dividing factor. He's saying there's something far greater. Speaking of his return, there's something far greater to fix our eyes on. There's a far better order of things that lead to greater priorities and even better possibilities. There's something better on the other side of my ways. So let's diagnose this real quick to see how do you know if you're weighed down? Like how do you know if you're weighed down? Well, the first thing is you're gonna feel overloaded. I remember going to Hawaii with two toddlers and a six-month-old. We had car seats. We had strollers. We had luggage. Can I just tell you, on the way to Hawaii, we didn't care. On the way home, we're like, man, why do we do this? Why do we, this is crazy. It's just loaded. Some of you wake up every single day and the joy is gone. You just feel heavy. You think to yourself, and you maybe even cry out to God a little bit, like, man, I have to do this again. Oh, do I have to really do this again? The joy is gone. I'm not saying the joy is gone momentarily. We all have those moments. I'm saying there's a consistency in your life where joy is not present. And remember, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it's a great gauge to look at and say, miss, maybe something is, is, is out of order. Numbers 11, verse 11, Moses, I think, said it really good when he was feeling this way. He said, look what he says to God. Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Moses is like, you've given me two million people to lead. Why would you do this to me, man? These people are crazy. Like some of you, some of you are relationally overloaded, like your, your relationships are overloaded where there's no joy, there's no life, they become a burden. Don't look at anybody around you right now. Don't look at your spouse. Don't be like, yeah, honey, I think that's us. Don't do that right now. Keep your eyes on me. But that's not God's will for your life. Moses had a call, but there were some things that were out of order. Moses was taking kind of on this, this savior deal and later his father-in-law Jethro was going to let him know there's a much better way to go about caring for these people. And so, so I, I want you to lean into this because God does not want you 
to live a burdened life. In fact, Jesus said, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. When you have rest, you won't run after all these things. But he says, sometimes we're burdened and we're still chasing the wind and it doesn't work. Find ourselves overloaded. The second thing is we find ourselves overscheduled. You're gonna be way down if you find yourself overscheduled. I'm the guy that says, it's okay. Yeah, throw another thing on my plate. I'll get up at four and I'll work till 10. That's how I'm wired if I'm not careful. Oh, it won't be a problem. Nope. I'll get up at 3.30 if I have to. Then I'll work to 11. Sleep when I die. You should say stuff like that. It's so unbiblical. But it sounds good. Right? If you're in business, everybody says that. But God has a much better way. I'm not against hard work, but I am about right work. And working from a posture of rest. And so if you're feeling overscheduled, can I just tell you, you're probably doing something that God has not called you to do. Or something that God has called you to do, but like Moses, it's just out of order. Like there's a better way to do things. And you may have to fix that alignment a little bit. Psalm, verse 39, verse 6, I think really gets to the heart of it. He says, we are merely moving shadows and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. Like, again, I'm just reminded. I've been trying to get Jackie to get a fake tree forever. She's like, no. I'm like, babe, we're going to pay 100 bucks now. Trees are like $100 now for a dead tree to put in our house. Why are we doing this, right? Because at the end of it, it ends to nothing. It's, it's a dead tree. We take it up. We throw it. We're rushing. We do all these things. And I love the Christmas season. I love the holidays. I love fall. I walked out the other day, and I just smelt the air. And I was like, it's fall. I love it. But there, there's, there's more than meets the eye to this passage. This word, moving shadows, you know what it means in, in the Hebrew? It means a vain show. It means you're running a vain. It's, it's, it's your show. And you're overscheduled, you're consumed with the temporary. Whenever you're overscheduled, the temporary seems to take precedence. It just does. There's just this propensity to put God on the back burner. God, you're gonna, I'm gonna give you some time on the go. When I have a window, I'm gonna spend some time with you. Maybe tell somebody about you. Maybe, you know, if I have some time, and then you have a little bit of time, but you're so exhausted, you just want to veg out. And so God ends up being reduced to another task and another chore on the list. And we wonder why life is not working. Because it's our show. It's our order of things. And then we get to the end of our day, we're like, man, I just really don't feel like I accomplished much. I did a lot, but I didn't accomplish much. I'm so focused on the urgent, over the important. And that leads to frustration. And when you're frustrated, it leads to being or feeling overwhelmed. Overwhelmed does not mean that you look like you're overwhelmed. Like some of us, we can, we're very polished. We, we don't look overwhelmed. But if you get underneath the hood, I've sat with so many people that says, man, I wish I would have made adjustments earlier. There was so much possibility then, but I didn't prioritize right. And I know God's not done with me, but I just wish I would have made some adjustments earlier. And then what happens? You feel overwhelmed, then you start feeling worried that you're overwhelmed. And then the cycle continues. You become limited on possibilities. 
And so, so what is the solution? Like, what, what is the Lord inviting us to? Are you ready for this on a Sunday morning in November? The, the Lord is simply saying, listen, the way to, to get over being overwhelmed, overscheduled, and overloaded is we have to first get over ourselves. This is what he says. This is what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we find ourselves overloaded, overscheduled, and overwhelmed, it limits our possibilities because we are limited. And so whenever we're overloaded, overscheduled, and overwhelmed, it may be because we need to get over ourselves and come under the lordship of Christ again. We need to seek first. Remember, unbelievers run after all of these things because they have no rest. And the Lord is constantly saying, hey, if you're not at rest and you belong to me, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. Readjust. Realign your aim. Adjust your priorities. Because this is the reality. We are all seeking something first, but is it his kingdom? Is it his righteousness? Now, what does that even mean? Like, are you pursuing salvation first? Like, do you realize that we just weren't in need of a savior for a moment? We continuously need him to save us from ourselves. And his kingdom, it just, kingdom is another word for his rule, his reign, his administration, his order of things. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The old had passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. We are a new creation in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. So now we have the the luxury and the beautiful reality to live righteously and to pursue righteous living, to pursue God's ways. Seek first his kingdom. Can I just tell you, the kingdom of God consists of this, the Bible says, righteousness, peace, and joy. Can I just ask a simple question? Is your life marked by righteousness, peace, and joy? Not do you think so, but would others say that about your life? And if not, don't feel bad. Just maybe we need to readjust. Maybe we need to repeat the order. We need to look at the order of things We need to reprioritize because there's so many possibilities on the other side of seeking first his kingdom. I think many of us, we get frustrated because we're trying to seek first. We're trying to seek him first, but we're pursuing him in in our kingdom. We're not seeking first his kingdom. We're like, we want to seek you first, but we want to do it through the lens of our kingdom. So many times God teaches me this in, in, in subtle little ways that just remind me of the greater picture. First of all, I'm on the phone with somebody the other day. You start talking about death. It reprioritizes things real quick. It reprioritizes your life when you start to think of your mortality. All of a sudden you're like, man, am I loving people the way I should? Am I reaching people the way I should? Am I pastoring people the way I should? I have a small window. Nobody's promised tomorrow. So that, that's, that's one way. I think we should talk about death more often, to be honest. Not in a, in a morbid way, but in a sobering way. That none of us are truly promised tomorrow. But, but I think in, in more subtle ways the Lord deals with me. I'll lose my keys. 
And then after, you know, I've kicked my dog, yell at my kids, yell at Jackie and spank my kids. Then I finally pray. Just kidding. I don't do those. I don't, I don't kick my dogs. Um, <laughs> make sure you're awake. So true stories though. Then I pray, Lord, frustrated. I'm at the end of my cell. Can't find my keys. And then just God in his grace and humor sometimes, and then I'll just find them. And I almost sense the Holy Spirit saying, how long do you want to live like this? What if you just would have did that first? I remember go, going to San Jose. We were taking our kids to a museum out there, and it was during the week. And so you know you have a window with San Jose and traffic. Yeah. You got to get there early. Doom, doom, doom. Get your little museum thing done. Out by 1 o'clock. Because if you hit that 2, 2.30... You're done, especially on 680. You're done. You're looking at Durham for like two hours. <laughs> Doesn't work. So, so I'm her and I'm trying to get the car. And so my, my, my youngest daughter stayed with me in the car. And I'm parking. I'm dropping everybody off. Get the good spot. Let's get in. And I just, my daughter just looks at me and she says, Dad, I, I, was, pr I was praying today. I was like, okay, you have my attention. I was like, you were praying? She's like, yeah, I pray often. I'm like, well, that's good. That's good to know. That's your dad. And she just said, hasn't God been so good to us? And, and in all of my rushing, it's you stop and realize the simplicity and the beauty of God, you have been so good to us. Slow down. See, seeking first God's kingdom, can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, is not about God shifting our perspective. It's about us pursuing his agenda. It's a big difference. Some of us, we love the concept of it. We just don't like the reality of it. It's like to seek first his kingdom, it's a reprioritization of life. And that's why Hebrews 3, 7, 8 and 11 says, that's why the Holy Spirit says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, look what verse 11 says, as, and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Can I tell you, rebellion and rest don't go together. They, they, they don't work. And Israel, I mean, think about the, the beauty of what God had put before them. He said, I've delivered you from slavery and I've given you a land. I know there's some giants in the land. I know there's some difficulties, some distractions and some challenges, but I've given it to you. Like it's possible to go and take the land because I'm gonna fight for you. But they looked at the giants. They had a perception. They looked at the giants through the lens of their kingdom and they had a perception of the giants and themselves removing God from the equation and they rebelled in unbelief and were left wandering in the desert until the generation passed away and they entered into the land. Can I just tell you what possibilities are on the other side of your priorities? And where are you missing the rest of God because of your rebellion? When I say rebellion, you're like, whoa, that's a strong word. The way that it unfolds is the Lord said, you rebelled in your unbelief. You just didn't trust me. You didn't believe me. And so priorities, remember, there's possibilities on the other side of our priorities, but our priorities are going to be directed by our faith. Where does your hope lie is what you will seek first.
So I think we need to reprioritize some things as we head into the next six weeks. I just felt really, I just had this heavy on my heart. God has so much over the next several weeks, so many possibilities. Don't, don't live in January yet. We're not there. Like, let's live right now in the moment. And this is what I want to encourage us all to do. All, none of us get a pass from this today. Is I want us to reprioritize prayer over pressure. Some of us, we already feel it. We're, we're, not even, we're not even doing anything yet, and we already feel the pressure. And sometimes it, you can't even pinpoint the pressure. You just feel it. It's in the air. Some of you guys feel it. You're going through a tough time. You're surrounded by pressure. But what if you prioritize prayer in a way that you never, what if the next six weeks are your best time of prayer than you, that you've ever experienced in your life? In the most busiest, hectic time of the year. What a testimony that would be. Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 30, 35 and 38 says, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and slipped out into a solitary place to pray. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Let us go to the neighboring towns so I can preach there as well, Jesus said, for that's why I have come. So he went through, throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You know what's so powerful about this? They said, hey, Jesus, everybody's waiting for you. He's like, yeah, we're going somewhere else. Like you have a crowd right here and we have a plan for you, Jesus. Can I just tell you, the world has an agenda for you. The crowd has a plan for your life. This season has a plan for your life. But Jesus was able to get direction over distraction because he prioritized prayer. And, and what, that, what that led to was what? A reaffirmation of who he is. I know why I've come. Like, I, I've been with the Father. And he's using this as an example for us. Can I just tell you, it's in the place of prayer. God reassures you of who we are and who we're not and who he is. And we can escape the pressure of the crowd because we have clear direction from God. Will we prioritize prayer over the pressure? And look what was the result. It wasn't just for Jesus. It was like, no, he went preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons there are possibilities on the other side of our priorities. Like what if he just would have stayed? I don't know. Maybe the same stuff would have happened, but that's not what the, Lord, the Father had him doing. You know, George Mueller, he's a, he was a famous missionary. He had several different ministries, but the one that he's most known for is he took care of about 2,000 orphans. When they found his journal, they found out that over a 10-year period, he had over 50,000 answered prayer requests that he had written down in his journal that God had answered. He never raised a penny for the orphans. He prayed, and God would deliver mil multiple millions of dollars in the early 1900s flooding to this man's orphanage, not because he had a great capital campaign. I'm not against capital campaigns. I'm just saying. But because, you know, we say you don't, we have not because we ask not what the Lord says. You know, that's not about asking one another. You know, it's about asking him. But what a faith to say, 
I just believe you're going to do it. And I'm not lazy. I'm tending to orphans. And I'm going to trust 50,000 prayer requests. You know, he said that he struggled in his prayer life early on. You want to know what changed his prayer life? He started praying the promises. I just found this out last week. I was like, I just preached that. He just started praying the word of God. He said, I, I never lost win when I started to pray the scriptures, when I started to pray the promise. When we prioritize prayer over the pressure, some of you got your soul is longing for that. Some of you guys are already like, I'm, I'm dying. I can't take any more pressure. God's like, man, let's, let's prioritize prayer in the busiest seasons. Don't just, don't just say, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to wake up a little bit earlier. No, how about you prioritize prayer in the middle of your hectic day? We are called to walk with God, not just have a moment with him. Are you with me? Second thing is this. Will we prioritize power over presentation? Power over presentation. Some of us were so consumed with presentation. I mean, I mean let's be real. Do, do you need just another Sunday service? Or do you need the power of God to transform your life? Like, do we just need another beautiful Christmas or do we need a, a Christmas with power and anointing? You know, Billy Graham, before he was Billy Graham, preached to millions. Millions of people came to Christ through this man's ministry. He said at the end of his life, he said, they said, do you have any regrets? He said, I would have prayed and fasted more and I would have spent more time with my family and less travel. I take those words to heart because that's a man that lived an integrous life. Not a perfect man, but, but before he was this, before anybody knew his name, he was preaching in the UK at a church and every night he would come and preach, nobody would get saved. And it's like preaching to like, you know, sometimes as pastor, we're like, man, what's wrong with the people? It's their hearts, God. But he knew a preacher that every time this one preacher preached, like tons of people would come to Christ. So, so he asked him in the middle of this event, he was speaking, I think for like a week or two, I don't know if it was kind of like a little revival thing, but there was no revival happening. And he reached out and he says, hey, I, I want the anointing that you have. How humble is that? He says, man, when I preach, it just, there's no, it just doesn't seem like there's power. I know God's word doesn't return void, but when you preach, it's like, whoa. So the guy said, okay, well, you're, you're, you're here for a few more days. Come with me to the cabin every day for three days. And we're going to pray, and then you're close enough, you can come back down and preach. That's a lot of time. Whenever you have to preach just to be away and then have to travel and come back down and preach and do all that stuff, that's, that's a huge sacrifice. You risk presentation. And so first night, he goes, they, they pray all day, he comes, and he's preaching his heart out, nothing. Like, dang. Go back up to the cabin the next day, seeking God's face. Comes back and preaches nothing. The third day, it's like he knew. It's like the spirit quickened his heart. It's like, 
God's going to move tonight. Like I just, I just know it. It almost seemed like he started to laugh. Like, it's going down tonight. I know it's going down tonight. And he, he, he went back down to, to, to preach. He got there that night. Before he was done preaching, half of the church came forward. Just on just crying out to God. And this man who spent time with Billy Graham went back to his household that night. And he said this, he said, the world will know the name of Billy Graham. The world will know the name of Billy Graham. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, lovers of... Not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form, a presentation of godliness, but no power. We see the 10 virgins Jesus talks about, five of them were wise and had oil. So when Jesus showed up, it didn't feel like a trap. When the bridegroom came, they were ready, they had oil, they were ready, but five were unwise, they were foolish. They had the outer presentation. They just looked like everybody else, but they had no oil. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot afford any longer to have no oil. Let us not forfeit power on the altar of presentation. Billy Graham's secret, dependence. This man said, like, this guy showed up and said, God, I'm not leaving until you pour out your spirit on me. He humbled himself came to the end of himself and said, I need a greater anointing, God. I want your power when I preach. Sacrifices time. And God says, man, I can honor that heart. God poured out his spirit. Some of us were so stuck up. It's like we don't even give the grace of God an opportunity to make us into a person of power. Because we just won't give God that space. Come on, I think we all have a little bit of in us when it comes to the things of God. But, but over the next six weeks, what if we came to the end of ourselves and understand that God just doesn't want to use our accomplishments. He wants to use our weakness. He wants to use our sins. He wants to make us in to burning lights. Got to be dependent. And then lastly, I want to prioritize obedience over avoidance. I just felt like in this moment, there, there are some here today that you're just not being obedient. Like you already know there's some things that God has called you to. He's asking of you. King Saul, the Lord said, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. Wipe out everything. But he didn't. He kept some of the plunder. And look what he says. Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen to me. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. Because Saul was like, hey, well, look what all I'm doing, man. I offered them to the Lord. Yeah, but you didn't obey. Earlier in the chapter, Samuel's like, you got full of yourself. Like, you think you can now tell God what to do? Now, now that he made you king and gave you the anointing? It's like, no, like, obedience is way better than all of your efforts. So I, I really believe that God wants us to realize that a thousand compromises leaves us compromised and it limits our possibilities. It affects our priorities. It limits our possibilities. And, and we start to put our hope in things that can't deliver. 
can I just tell you, there's some things, again, that God has spoken to you. No more justifying, no more rationalizing, no more limitations. It's, it's time to make time. I don't have the time. No, 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 we all have the time. We need to make the time. And let's believe God over the next six weeks to do something in and through us that the first of the year we'll talk about. Let's prioritize prayer over the pressure. Power over presentation. Let's go after him. Let's humble ourselves. God, we need you. I don't want to look great and have a form of godliness. I want your power. And let's prioritize obedience. Let's put our head down and just risk like, God, I'm so, I don't know. I'm so scared of you, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm not going to rebel. Rebellion and rest don't go together. And I want you to have great rest. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we thank you for this moment in time. Lord, would you heal our hearts? Would you open up our capacity to believe afresh? Lord, some of our prayer lives have gone dormant. Resurrect them, God. Pour it out. Pour it out. Seek first the kingdom and all will be added. All will be added. Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry for even the times, God, that I put more focus on presentation over power. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. So will you come, Lord, and I just pray for an out, a fresh outpouring of your Spirit's power on every heart and mind here today. A fresh outpouring of your Spirit, God. Bring clarity. Convict us concerning sin and righteousness. Lord, remind us of your love and your grace. You've called us not to be overcome by or weighed down, but to be overcomers, God. Pray, Lord, you would quicken our faithfulness to believe. I remember the Welsh revival, the four points. One of them was be quick to listen to the Spirit. Let us be quick to respond in obedience, not avoidance in what you're calling us to do. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to pray with you. And so I'm just going to ask you to do something bold. Um, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if you need to rededicate your life or if you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right now where you're at? If you say, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. If there's anybody here, I would love to see your hand. I just want to pray. Yep, I see your hand, sir. Thank you. Yep, I see yours. Thank you, sir. It's awesome. Anybody else? Yep, I see your hand in the back. Thank you, my friend. Anybody else that says, I need to go all in today? I'm going to pray with you, a simple prayer. We're going to all pray this with you, not by yourself. Come on, let's pray, church, with him. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. My priorities, my heart, my mind, my ways, I give to you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the dead. You are alive. So I ask that you would forgive me. I repent, turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you. Wash me, cleanse me, revive me, fill me with your spirit. Give me a hunger to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, your word, your ways. Today, I'm getting over myself. 
and I'm coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.